Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Joe Bernard on waking up to the destructive power of sin and how to tackle it head on. You've got to recognize that this isn't, you know, a small activity that's just during your quiet time in the morning, but it's something that's got to pervade your life as you go into the workplace, you know, as you go into the supermarket, as you go into the gym. There's no place that sin isn't going to be stalking you. And if that's the case, there's no place that we can allow ourselves to not be vigilant. Joe Bernard, next. Joe Bernard believes Christian men today aren't prepared for the reality of the spiritual warfare they face. It may seem like a daunting task, but Joe says the resources of the gospel are more than adequate to deal with the power of sin in our lives. He's the founder and director of Cross Training Ministries and author of Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. Joe, first tell us about Cross Training Ministries. You know, I've found as a pastor and just as a, someone who disciples men that there are a lot of Christian guys that are stuck. Um, they're, they'd like to grow. They don't know what to do to grow. Um, often they're trying to do it all by themselves, and they feel like they've just hit a low ceiling. And so cross-training is trying to set men up so they can really uh, put Christ first in their life. And so we do that really bodily discipline, simple routines, and spiritual friendship. That's our basic recipe. Well, there's a lot more to that. People obviously can go to your website and uh, yeah. check that out. Well, introduce us to Surviving the Trenches and how it fits with the mission of Cross-Training Ministries. Well, uh, having worked with men uh, for many years, again, in the role as a pastor, and then also uh, with Cross-Training Ministries, one of the things that's surprised me, and this isn't just true for men, it's true for Christians in general, but for some reason, uh, Christians can spend not just years, but decades in churches, and they really never get any focused teaching on what to do to fight against sin. And uh, it's a strange thing because this is one of the great battles, right? That we all face, not just occasionally, but day in, day out. And so, you know, there's a lot of guys, uh, for some it's lust, for some it's pride, for some it's anger, for some it's sloth, but just feel like they're getting their teeth kicked in every day. And they're not sure what the resources in the gospel are to fight against sin. And so, uh, you know, just recognizing that gap uh, in the discipleship of men, the book was just meant to help guys and help guys be able to appreciate that, you know, the gospel gives us the tools to uh, begin to wage war on sin. And, and when you talk about that, uh, the gospel giving us the tools, the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our sins are forgiven through faith in him. It, does it all begin and continue at that point? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the truth that um, if you're in a gospel a central church or a gospel-centered church, you know, we often hear that message of forgiveness and pardon, and uh, that's where it all begins. But I think the question for a lot of men is they know the penalty has been paid, but has the power of sin actually been diminished? And as we read uh, through the New Testament, uh, what we find is, you know, Paul says things like in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, um, you know, our sinful passions. And so there's this expectation that the gospel, it begins with this recognition of forgiveness, but it moves on to transformation. And I think it's, it's that gap between, okay, I know I'm forgiven, but what can I do to actually begin to fight against sin? That's where, uh, you know, Christian men uh, are at a loss. Can you tell us why you start the book and maybe give us a little bit of a, of a description of it with a tragic World War I battle? I began with the, the, the picture, the Battle of the Somme, which uh, many will know is, you know, it's just, it is one of the great tragedies in terms of military history. And uh, what's so sad is the kind of naivety that uh, really characterized the British infantrymen 
at the start of that battle. Um, as, as difficult as it is for us to imagine, you know, that first wave coming out of the trenches, they really thought that there wasn't going to be a battle. The idea is artillery was going to take out the defenses, take out the machine gunneries, uh, gun, gunmen, and, and that the infantry would just come out of their trench, uh, walk across the battlefield, and more or less just stand and wait you know, to move forward again. And of course, that wasn't what happened. And I think there's a lot of men who they, they think, okay, I, I've become a Christian. Um, I'm going to church. Um, isn't this supposed to mean that all of my sin is just going to dissolve? And of course, any of us who've been Christians for a length of time know that, you know, we continue to wage real battles against old, uh, old passions, old idols. And so just wanting to begin by shifting men's mind and really helping guys see, hey, you got to expect it to feel like a battle. But how the New Testament talks about it. It is a war against sin. And you state that many men, uh, many Christian men, barely realize that they're in a war, in a battle. You know, uh, a lot of temporary preaching doesn't really help. You know, we live in an age with life management teaching, a lot of life coaching, and that whole mindset often, you know, finds its way into even, you know, good evangelical churches. And so on a Sunday morning, if you really ask yourself, what am I hearing? A lot of sermons can be reduced to some kind of life hack, you know, just to, you know, solve a simple problem. And when it comes to something like fighting lust, you know, there is no hack. <laughs> it's just not that simple. And so uh, I think, guys, you know, some of the misunderstanding has just come from the subtext of the way we preach often in the 21st century. Can you give us the biblical foundation for this, Joe, what you're, what you're talking about here? Yeah, I think really, you know, if you want a single chapter of the Bible would be Romans chapter 6. Um, you know, it begins with that recognition of having died with Christ, even having been raised to newness of life. You know, Paul, he, uh, he tells us to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But what's interesting, he doesn't stop there. Uh, he goes on and he gives practical uh, teaching in terms of what we're then supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, this ranges from presenting our members as instruments of righteousness and so that's an active uh, uh, responsibility we have to actually, you know, sharpen our mind to actually uh, think about what we're focusing our attention on um, so that our members are being waged, uh, you know, as being waged like weapons of war. But, but he also says things like whoever you present yourselves slaves to obey, do you not know that you're that one's slaves whom you obey? So in other words, even though, uh, you know, legally we've been freed from sin, functionally we can still live as slaves of sin, if we consistently choose sin over righteousness. And so I think what a lot of Christians don't realize is Romans 6, it gives that foundation of the gospel, what Christ has done for us, but it also has practical teaching about what we can now do to begin to be freed up from sin. Well, the book is Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. My guest is Joe Barnard, and he is founder and director of Cross Training Ministries. Going to the subtitle for a moment, Joe, uh, that is a really taken from a quote from a man named John Owen, uh, as you said in your book. Can you tell us who he was and, and, and what that means? Yeah, John Owen, many would be considered the greatest of theologians. He was a, a Puritan um, and just uh, an amazing biblical scholar as well as practical theologian. And uh, he wrote the great, uh, really the great book on fighting sin or mortification, which was on the mortification of sin title. And uh, it's a book that's been really helpful uh, for generation after generation of Christian. The one difficulty is 
Owen is very difficult to read in terms of his style. And so, uh, although the book itself is gold, if you take your typical Christian in the 21st century, who probably struggles to read, uh, you know, difficult texts that are even contemporary, and then you throw them back 400 mm. years and give them an old text, mm -hmm. uh, they have great difficulty. And so, part of what I'm trying to do with this book is take the basic principles of Owen, but to cast them uh, in language, but also with examples that uh, can make it accessible to modern Christians. Can you give us a definition of sin? People may, they may just think, well, it's a, it's a bad action, or it's a mistake, or what have you. We often think of it in the terms of kind of public action. So when you tell a lie, uh, you know, when you uh, commit adultery, that these actions are sin. And they are sin. They're transgressions. They're violation uh, the law of God. And this is why fighting sin is so complicated. It's not just a matter of, a matter of changing our behavior. Uh, that's difficult enough. But we all know that we can hypocritically change behavior, and yet our heart can be uh, still have all kinds of impure motives. And so, if we're really getting to the root of sin, we've got to recognize there's attitudes, uh, there's desires, there's passions beneath our actions, our lifestyle. That's, in a sense, the stronghold of sin. Uh, and that's what we really need to do battle with when we're talking about putting sin to death. And in terms of the battle, there's spiritual armor. Can you tell us quickly how the spiritual armor applies? to the fight against sin? You know, I think just take the image of a, you know, take an image of a soldier who's going out into a battlefield. You know, they wear body armor and uh, for a really obvious reason. And that's because they know they're under fire. And it's not like the problem's entirely outside of us. It's also inside of us because there's indwelling sin. And so, you know, a vigilant Christian has to wake up and walk into the world each day, recognizing if they don't have armor, they're every bit as negligent as a, uh, you know, a policeman or a soldier who steps out into a dangerous situation without any kind of protection. And so, you know, that shield of faith, you know, um, the, the, the helmet of salvation, all of these, uh, these images that Paul speaks of, they're not just images, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's truth. We really do have to protect ourselves with these things in order uh, defensively to not succumb to temptation. But then we also need to think about uh, offensively what we can do to fulfill those commands to put sin to death. So, we, as you said, we have an adversary without, and we have uh, indwelling sin within. Uh, you, you get into this uh, in your book in great detail, extremely helpful. You, you give uh, 10 basic rules of war, and I realize we could talk about this for hours, but can you at least give us kind of an overview there? I'd like to ask about each one. We may not have time, but uh, for starters, you need the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to forget about that. I think that people might tend to think we're, we're talking about just self-discipline only or something that right. we can do with our willpower, but it's not that, is it? Right. And that's where, you know, this, th that chapter in particular, what it's really trying to do is just, just give people a framework. Because again, we, we tend to step into uh, this fight with a, a secular mindset, um, sometimes it's a legalistic framework. There, there's all kinds of things that can twist our thinking. And so, you know, these 10 rules of war are meant to just set Christians up so at least they have an accurate uh, gauge of, of what spiritual combat really means in terms of fighting sin. And that first one, the Holy Spirit, this is what distinguishes uh, fighting sin from, again, any kind of life management principle. And it's that fact that on our own, we just can't do it. Um, Paul says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live in Romans eight and that key phrase by the spirit. And so we've got to recognize we can do nothing of ourselves. 
Um, it's only through the Holy Spirit that we're able to have any kind of victory over sin. And what that means practically is humility. It all starts with humility because we know it's the humble heart. That's where the Spirit of God uh, you know, inhabits and really gives strength. And so it's in recognition of our weakness. It's in recognition of our need, our humility. You know, the battle has to begin with that kind of heart if we're going to actually have any kind of victory over sin. I love the way that you you uh, come at this, uh, the basic rules of war. You said this is really like uh, being given uh, intelligence of the enemy and that this is urgent. It's not uh, a lecture given uh, by a professor in a classroom, but uh, these, as you titled them, they're the basic rules of this war. Yeah, and that, that's just uh, such a fundamental shift that men need to have. Uh, one of the things that Owen says that's really helpful is he talks about how you know, a, a really important part of this spiritual combat is, is knowing that the schemes, the wiles, the strategies of the enemy. And, uh, you know, that's a principle that even you think of the, the, the classic book, The Art of War, that the part everybody knows is know thy enemy. And uh, there's so many Christians that we don't really know the sort of strategies uh, that the devil uses to trip us up. And the good news, I think, to Christians is the devil's not characterized by uh, his ingenuity. Um, it's rather the same old tactics used again and again and again from Adam all through the Old Testament. You think of David into the New Testament with, you know, Peter, and, and it's the same things that trip us up, you know, thousands of years later. And so for Christians to not study and look um, in the scriptures and also just to read, you know, the great spiritual books that have been written with that question, okay, what are the tricks? What are the strategies that the enemy uses to uh, make us stumble. I mean, how can we, how can we have that kind of negligence? And so we need, we need to know uh, the kind of, uh, the kind of traps that we're going to face day in day out if we're going to really fight this war. Can you give us an example of what maybe one of those traps? You know, uh, really, one of the key traps, and this is, you know, there's a whole chapter on this, is just you know falling prey to just to simple lies, mm. things like there's no hook in the bait, that idea that I can indulge in sin but it's not going to actually result in any kind of uh, further consequences. I mean, anybody who reads the Proverbs, they know that, that story of, uh, you know, the simple young man who falls prey to the seductress mm -hmm. in the way in which, you know, it starts with it's, it's twilight, it's in the evening, he's, he falls prey. Um, but it's that kind of negligent attitude that's so characteristic where we, you know, we think we can hang out with temptation. We think we can contain sin and go only so far, but no further. And that's just not the case. Um, if we give it an inch, it's going to take a mile. There's that cumulative effect of our sin. You see it with David and Bathsheba, and it's true for us as well. And this is where some of the wisdom of, say, for example, of resisting temptation, it's really just to avoid temptation when we're able to. We've got to position ourselves in a position of strength rather than weakness when we have the option. And number two uh, of these 10 uh, basic rules of war is to know your location. What do you mean? This is really with respect to the gospel, um, because some of the things that really threaten us when we're fighting sin, one is uh, guilt for past sin. That's one of those things Satan loves to rub in our face, remind us of what we've done in the past, and that can so quickly discourage us. And so that sense of knowing your location, if you picture yourself you know, on a you know, some sort of 
a walk through the wilderness and you can look back and you can see where you've come from. There needs to be that sense that we can look back, that we can see the cross, that that's something behind us. It's something definitive that God has done. It's so definitive that Paul can say in Romans 8 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, that liberates us from the unhealthy kind of guilt or shame, make us, you know, succumb to despair. But equally, we've got to be able to look forward. And if you think again of that image of being a pilgrim or, you know, somebody traveling where you can see on the horizon a destination, you know, you're headed somewhere. Uh, Paul, he tells us in Romans 6, that sin shall not have dominion over you. You know, there's this, uh, this hope, this conviction we know because Christ is resurrected that he's also going to resurrect us. So he's going to have victory. And so it's that looking back and being able to see what God has done, looking forward, knowing what God has promised, you know, positioning ourselves between these truths is vital in order just to be encouraged and sustain with a difficult walk through this life. It is a difficult walk, and, and you're, uh, certainly. So often, I think, in these kind of discussions, people might be listening in, somebody might be listening and thinking, well, this is for the, the advanced Christian life. This is for somebody that's been a believer. I, I'm not there. And yet, you're saying, practice the normal Christian life. It's not something extraordinary. That's right. Uh, you know, when Paul talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self, that's not for the graduate students uh, in the church. That's for, the, that's for everybody. That this is, I mean, in, in a sense, this is what the Christian life is all about. It's about, you know, to use that word, sanctification. It's about growing in holiness. It's about uh, being conformed to the image of Christ. And you can't be conformed to that image unless we're putting off and putting to death the sinful passions that we know um, are the, you know, the exact opposite of who Christ is. And so, yes, this is as soon as you become a Christian, in a sense, this becomes our job description. This is what we do. You know, we put off sin and slowly we grow into the likeness of Jesus. You say we need to be all in. We need to have a zero tolerance attitude. Yeah, I think, you know, there's so many, so, so many misconceptions about uh, sin that uh, hinder Christian growth. We often divide sins into big sins and little sins. And so, you know, we, we know we don't want to do the big ones. Uh, you know, for example, you know, maybe a married man who doesn't want to have an affair, you know, he knows, okay, I don't want to do that, but you know, I'm okay with objectifying a woman. If she's just walking across the street, that doesn't bother me too much. You know, there are some sins that seem big and you don't want to touch. There's others that will just let simmer in our heart. And part of what we have to recognize, and, uh, this is what Owen said. And this is what all the great writers on fighting sin have said is that if you're going to fight sin, you can't just pick some sin. You have to be all in, in the sense of fight all of sin. And uh, the reason is because ultimately sin is one thing, it's rebellion against God. And so wherever we're countenancing it, we're permitting sin, sin to reside in our heart. In a sense, that part of our heart we're keeping from God. And that in a sense is, you know, uh, counteractive to the whole purpose of what we're about as Christians. And so you've got to be all in and uh, you've got to recognize that this isn't, you know, a small activity that's just during your quiet time in the morning, but it's something that's got to pervade your life as you go into the workplace, you know, as you're going to the supermarket, as you go into the gym, there's no place that sin isn't going to be stalking you. And if that's the case, there's no place that we can't be or that we can allow ourselves to not be vigilant and to act like we don't need to fight sin in that space. And so that's what I mean by being all in. And when you talk about uh, 
defense, resisting sin, and what you just described here, but you say, and you talk about that a lot in your chapter on basic rules of war, but you also say we need to have a stronger offense. What, what does that mean? And this is in a, this would be in Romans 6, you know, this idea that, that we're actively called to present ourselves to God, um, and we're called to present our members to God as instruments of righteousness. And uh, part of what this means is, you know, throughout the New Testament, the call is not just to say, step away from anger, it's to step toward patience and meekness. It's not just to step away from uh, lust, it's to move toward purity. It's not just, you know, to let go of greed, it's to grow in contentment. Um, and so there's this sense that we're not just trying to keep sin from getting closer to our end zone. We're not just playing defense, but the real battle is about, you know, pushing things forward, playing offense, putting on the character, the virtue uh, that's typical of Christ and that he calls his followers to display as well. That's what this is about. And so you're never going to see victory over sin if you're just trying to uh, protect yourself from temptation. Where you're going to start to really see growth is when you're actively pursuing righteousness. And so we've got to include that into this discussion of fighting sin. And I love, uh, and I have to move on, and I know our time is running very quickly too, that you say that we need to have absolute trust and we need to never give up, but that absolute trust piece has to do with maybe the temptation to despair or like we're, we're, there, there's no hope, there's no way we can have victory even in, in Christ in this subject, but yet you say our vision is incomplete, just like in a, in a physical war. That's right. You know, we've got to recognize uh, that God, that's God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so often the discouragement comes when we are trusting our own eyes. And uh, the truth is we can't see the battle. We can't see everything that God is doing. And often when we feel like we're failing, what we don't recognize is that God is growing us, but he might be growing us in areas that are unexpected. And, you know, there's something else that I think it's it's almost dangerous to say, but I think it is true that, you know, sometimes God permits sin to linger because he's actually dealing with a different sin in our heart. You know, the biggest sin, uh, the sin beneath all sin is pride. And one of the things that happens is we continue to stumble and fall on our face is really begin to learn just how dependent we are upon the grace of God. And what that does is result in humility. And so, you know, what's characteristic is Christians actually advance in this battle. So often they feel like they're actually getting worse. You know, they're seeing more of their sin than they ever saw before. But what's also happening that they don't always recognize is they're growing in dependence. They're recognizing their need for Jesus. Um, and that's the whole, in a sense, that is the key to the whole battle itself. And so my encouragement would be, don't trust your eyes. You know, we're called to continue to fight, but recognize, you know, as you just uh, trust God as you're faithful and what he uh, is leading you to do, trust him with the results. Just each day up and recognize this is the work that he has you to do. And in terms of just moving on uh, for just a couple more minutes, the propaganda of sin, deception is really what we're fighting. I, I, I think that Owen talks about sin or temptation and deception being essentially synonymous. We need to have a, you say, a vigilant mind. Yeah. You know, there's, there's different dimensions of this battle. And uh, I wish I could just reduce it to one, but I can't. Um, there's the, the, the mental component. There's the aspect that, yeah, we have to, to think according to God's truth. 
um, in order to be able to fight this battle. You've also, though, got the idols of the heart. It's another aspect, but you know, it's critical. We've got to recognize in the same way that if you were living you know, in uh, the Soviet Union you know, 40 years ago and we're surrounded by propaganda and the difficulty in that context to have a right perspective on life in the world, that's the context we live. We're surrounded with all kinds of lies from our culture. And uh, we've got to be able to detect these lies or else, again, we're not going to recognize what it really means to fight against sin. You talk about killing entrenched passions, like your subtitle, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. Sin is never really killed finally in, the, in this life, is it? I mean, it, I've, I've heard it said it's like, it's like a weed. You kill the weed, but then it comes up, then you have to kill it again. It's sort of, it's, an, it's a day-by-day ongoing process. You know, that we've got to have the mentality that we want sin dead, but at the same point, we also have to recognize that there won't be a final victory uh, in this present life. And so I think that is a realistic perspective that we need to have as we step into this battle. When you talk about killing entrenched passions, practically speaking, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What we've got to recognize is there are some sins that we just stumble into on occasion. Um, You know, we might lose our temper. It's not characteristic of us, uh, but we know we say something we shouldn't. Um, That's one sin. There's other things that you recognize uh, are a pattern. And uh, you realize uh, there are deep roots to these sins that they've, in a sense, been habituated in your life. And when we come up against that kind of entrenched sinful passion, there's some special things that we need to be thinking about in terms of uh, really fighting against those sins. We've got to be able to, to, to see that there are going to be certain special lies that feed, as it were, the roots of that sin. And so we've got to be able to detect what those lies are. Uh, we've got to really be able to get a clear picture of, of the ugliness of that sin, um, you know, what it's doing to us. And what all of that really does, I mean, all of a sudden you reach a place of horror, sorrow, and then you run to the cross, to Jesus. Of course, sin is something that, that began in the Garden of Eden. It's been with us. Uh, it's <laughs> resulted in the fall of man and all of that, and Satan deceived Adam and Eve and so forth. But you say there are four particular sins, especially harming modern men, pride, lust, vanity, and sloth. And I'm just wondering, why focus on these four? Uh, part of the reason is just to make this uh, more contemporary. Um, you know, a lot of the principles, again, you can read old spiritual writers and find them. Uh, and in some sense, the battle hasn't changed. In some sense, it has changed. In some sense, we live in a particular time. And so that last chapter is trying to help guys understand, you know, what's distinctive about the challenge of fighting sin in the 21st century. Uh, two of the sins I pick up, uh, there's no surprise. Uh, most Christians realize pride, lust, these are problems uh, for men. But the other two are two things that we don't think about much. Uh, one is sloth, um, you know, which is diagnosing a sin that many of us probably have never thought about. And then vanity, this, this uh, passion to fit in, but to fit into the wrong circle. And uh, so much of the, you know, the, the energy of modern people is, you know, spent trying to fit in to, to a crowd that doesn't even care about them and uh, trying to attain goals that ultimately don't even matter. And so I think if guys can recognize these four sins, it's not the whole of the battle, but they're going to understand part of the difficulty and complexity of fighting sin in the 21st century. And some people might be wondering at this point, Joe, of course, you're, you're aiming this book at men, and yet these principles, is it fair to say they apply equally to men and women? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really with all of what we do with cross training and this book included, um, it, it's not the substance, you know, the style is probably written uh, to men. Uh, the examples are probably geared toward men, but in terms of the, the basic truths, it's as relevant to women as it is to men. What is your hope for how this will change our Christian lives from day to day? It's just that people will be able to cherish more of God as they begin to uh, fight against sin and walk more closely with Him. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Joe Bernard, founder and director of Cross Training Ministries and author of Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before Sin Kills You. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Scott McConnell on the quiet time or devotional habits of Christians. Uh, but when it comes to time alone with God, we, we see that pattern in Scripture as well, that personal relationship that we can have with God. And we see that even Jesus Christ himself you know, took time out and stepped away from even being with his disciples to spend time alone with God. And so it's, it's a pattern that, that we believe you know, God would want us to have. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.